You're listening to a Clovis Hills podcast. You're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. You know, we've been doing uh, Facebook Live for a long time, but uh, the coronavirus kind of caused us to really... uh, reevaluate how we do church online and we are planning to launch an online campus in the fall and it this really forced us to just get going on it quickly so we're on multiple platforms now we'll be on all kinds of platforms every week and eventually you all will come back and the room will be full again and we'll also have um, just a really great online service too and our, it just makes our reach with the gospel deeper to the ends of the earth. So I want to say good morning to everyone in the Central Valley watching and those of you that are all over the country and the few of you that might be um, out of country watching, thank you for joining us. We're, we're just glad you're here. Um, the weirdest thing about being online is um, I'm watching myself right here. And I, can, can you zoom in on that? That's crazy. Okay, so I'm going to send a message right now. You are now in the fourth dimension. You're getting messages from the future because I think there's about a 10 delay thing on here. That is a really close-up shot of my face and I'm scared of that. Um, <laughs> so anyways, welcome. We're glad you're here. And um, man, I, uh, it's been a crazy week, right? By last Sunday, we had the, um, the CDC uh, said we could gather in groups of 250 or less. So we planned on doing like 10 services a week. And then they, right away, I think maybe the night before we gathered, moved it down to 50. And then um, by Monday, it was down to 10. And we're like, okay, we want to honor that. And it's, we've been scrambling and there have been some people that have been working incredibly hard. A small amount of people have been working incredibly hard on the tech side to transform this whole um, auditorium into a studio so we could all watch from our couches. So thank them if you know them, send them a message, whatever you got to do for them. Um, But I was in the store this week and it was bonkers. And I started thinking about how um, crazy it gets um, if you're like a first responder or um, you're, you know, you're uh, working a hospital, you're a doctor, you're a nurse, or you work in the grocery store or in sanitation, those people are the heroes right now during this thing. And I thought about like, man, they don't have time to go grocery shopping. And by the time they get to the grocery store, the thing's been picked clean and there's nothing but disgusting food everywhere. And I'm, I wonder like their sack sack lunches for work must be just massive failure, failures. So I, I started thinking about sack lunch fails, and I just got a few of them. I, I want to warm you up just because I want you to think about what these heroes are suffering with. This first one's a sandwich, okay? And um, on the sandwich, it says, FYI, this was not made with love. Okay, so this sandwich, what it was made with was uh, bread, meat, cheese, condiments, and passive aggression. So, I mean, that's, that's literally, can I get a laugh from the six people in the room? Is, is this thing on? Uh, anyways, okay, ne- next one. Um, I, so, so here's the deal. There's all kinds of elite athletes out there and they have very strict diets. I personally, I'm on a ketogenic diet. I'm not an elite athlete, nor an, do I claim to be an elite pastor either, but I'm on a ketogenic di- diet and it's pretty, pretty strict. Um, this one I call the elite athlete diet, or he eats like an elite athlete if he was seven years old, okay? Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it, 
it's hot Cheetos, popcorn, Cheerios, and of course, a five-hour energy to get all your vitamins that you need. It's disgusting. Uh, it's definitely the elite athlete diet of seven-year-olds, okay? Um, but if you were an elite athlete you, and you're doing ketogenic like me, you probably might eat something like this one. It's a bento box full of bacon, yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe not a LeBron James or a Michael Phelps, but I, I think like professional bowlers, they're elite athletes, they probably eat this meal, you know, that, that, that's what they, they got going, going on. So this morning, we're gonna talk about um, a little boy who brought his lunch. And Jesus took what was in his hands and um, it felt like nothing and he took it and he used it to really bless thousands of people. And uh, we're gonna read today from, from the book of John, chapter six, one through 15. And I would love it wherever you're at, whether you're um, on a couch or if you're on the toilet, stay there. But everyone else, let's just all stand in honor of God's word and let's read from the word of the Lord. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. All right, all right. Thank you, uh, Brendan. And man, the guy has the most golden voice I've ever heard. But man, uh, this passage, it's a true story. And um, John writes about it. Mark wrote about it. And, and that I've been to the place where this hill, where they believe this hill was and um, sat on it, and um, it, it overlooks the Sea of Galilee. And I want to tell you a little bit about the area where this happened. So um, the Galilee area, and that's a picture of it you're looking at on your screen right now. The Galilee area was very rural. Even to this day, it's still fairly rural in the 21st century. And if you were from Galilee during this time when, when this story happened, um, there were a handful of fishing villages around this big lake that they call the Sea of Galilee. And um, there might be a couple hundred people in each of the villages and the largest city around it would have been a city called Tiberias would have been a little bigger but still not very big and it was very remote and very rural 
And, um, you know, they called Jesus and his followers, they were Galileans, which would have uh, insinuated that they were kind of backwards and rednecks. And actually Galileans had their own dialect of Hebrew. So they had a twang to it or whatever it was, or maybe they sound like they're from Brooklyn, huh? I don't know. But they, they had their own kind of thing going. And when it says that 5,000 people came to see Jesus, you have to understand, if you live in Capernaum, a rural fishing village on the Sea of Galilee, there might be two, 300 people living in Capernaum. There might be another couple hundred people living around the, around the outskirts of Capernaum. Um, you never saw giant crowds like this in your, in your home. If you went to Jerusalem, you might see giant crowds at the temple, people waiting to get into the temple and things like that. But in this area, they never saw massive crowds. If they went to a really big wedding, there might be 200 people at it. And that was a mind-blowing crowd for them. So 5,000 people coming to see Jesus is huge. And then I want to break this down because it says 5,000 men. See, back in the, um, the first century, uh, in the ancient world, when they did a count of, of numbers, they were not Baptists whatsoever. See, I, I, I come from a Baptist background, and we count everyone. Men, women, pregnant women count as two, because we're pro-life. If a cat runs through the church that's pregnant, that counts as nine people. Um, if Facebook Live says we have 179 people, we assume you all have 10 people in your room right now watching. That's 1,790. So that, that's how Baptists work. But in the ancient world, they only counted men. So what that means is there was somewhere around 15,000 people in this, that came from all over the Judean countryside, all over Israel to come and hear Jesus teach. And it would have been a mind-blowing event. That, that, I mean, the people living there in that area would have gone just to see the crowd even. And Jesus is there, and um, you think about it, and you're like, how do you get 15,000? Well, if every, every, every man of that 5,000 had a shorty and a boo, um, that makes 15,000. If you don't know what shorty and a boo is, I'm going to Urban Dictionary you right now. That means a spouse and a child, okay? <laughs> so um, <laughs> thank you, Marlena. She's laughing at all my jokes. I hope you are on, online too. So um, there's just not enough infrastructure in this area to feed all these people, to house all these people. And we also know it's springtime dur during this area. See, the, um, the Galilee region, if you're uh, listening or watching online, you're, you're, you might be living in the Central Valley of California. And the Galilee region is really similar uh, climate-wise to the Central Valley. It's, it's kind of in a valley. Um, and for those of you that are outside of Central Valley, I'll explain how it works here um, and, and in, in the Galilee region is um, springtime here is incredible. It is so beautiful. Like all the tree, everything's turning green. The hills are all green. The mountains are all snow-capped right now. It is just stunning. The only problem is living in the, the Central Valley is um, our spring lasts somewhere between four to seven days, okay? And the, um, in, in the Sea of Galilee region, what we know is it says in Mark's gospel, it says in John's gospel, that Jesus told them to all, have them all be seated on the grass. That would have been the grass hill down below. And, if the gra and it says green grass. If the grass was green, we know it was in the springtime. But the disciples knew this is an insurmountable people to care for. How are we going to feed them? How are we going to house them? 
Like, where are they going to go? There's not enough lodging and food in these little fishing villages for this many people. And see, the question that they ask is a similar question that you may be asking right now. And it is, is how do I trust God when I'm in a sticky situation? Because they were in a sticky situation. Um, I, I know myself, if I go a couple couple hours without a meal, if I go a set amount of time without my coffee, without my, my creature comforts, I get hangry. And imagine 15,000 people and there's no food for them. That could turn into a riot very quickly. So, so they're worried. They're in a sticky situation. And the question is, how, how do you trust God in a sticky situation like that? Well, I want you to imagine right now, um, you've been given a task and your life depends on it. And you've got to move a, uh, a pile of bricks, okay? This pile of bricks for, from one place all the way across town. But the only means of transporting them is a bicycle, and you think to yourself, like, that's in way too big of a pile of bricks. I can't carry that many in my arms. Across town is like four or five miles. Um, it, it, it's not, it's not going to work. And what happens is you begin to look at this situation and you think, I can't do it, therefore I won't. And you just slack or you, you whatever. And maybe your life is like that right now. You're thinking, you know, I'm in an impossible situation. My kids are home till, till uh, sometime in April. Now the governor's saying till June and I've got to work and we've got two jobs in our house and who's going to watch our kids and how am I going to work from home with these little kids here and how am I going to homeschool my kids and, and it's all of this seems impossible and our natural reaction is to throw our hands up in the air and be like, well, I give up. But here, here's what I, I, want, I want you to know. Um, don't give up. Lean into it. If you have God, if you have Jesus in your heart, God is going to help you find a way. You know, it says in James, the book of James says that if we ask for wisdom, that God will give it to us generously, just do not doubt. So here's what, what you may need to do. You may be in a sticky situation in your life is on a daily basis, bring yourself to God and ask him for wisdom of how you do something impossible. Because here's the deal. Uh, it may seem huge. It may seem like you can't do it and you want to give up. But how do you eat an elephant, guys? You eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? So look what this guy did. He was pretty, pretty resourceful. I feel like a weather person. I'm like, hi. I'm not as hot as the weather people on TV, but anyways, we have a storm over here. Anyways, th this guy, he figured, he found a way. And when you lean into it and you have God and you, 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 you have faith, God will help you find a way. You know, um, for me, for the last 20 something years of my life, I've been a pastor and my job has been to gather people in Jesus name. And now I can't gather people in Jesus name. And it would have been really easy to just be like, well, I guess I've got to find another line of work. But, but we, we, we lean into it and we say, okay, well, we're going to find a way to keep people connected even though we can't gather right now. And this is why we want you to, to, to do your growth groups via Zoom, to be in a text thread with your other believers because the enemy wants you to be isolated because he knows if you are isolated, it will wreck your spirituality. It'll wreck your walk with God. But God, there's always a way. With God, there's always a way. So, um, so when you're in a seemingly impossible situation, here's what you, gotta, you have to understand. Jesus knows the outcome. He knows how this is going to end. We freak out when we don't know how it's going to end. As a matter of fact, 
what we typically do when we're not in control of the situation and we don't know how it's going to work out and we don't know what's going to happen is um, instead of leaning in and doing the things we should do, we start reaching for food, alcohol, drug of choice, shopping, relationship, whatever. Some of you are like trying to navigate a relationship. You're like, holy cow, I'm trapped in this house with someone I, 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 I'm, I'm not really attached to anymore. And this is really hard. And, and here's what I want you to know. When you are in these situations, Jesus knows the outcome. And if you'll follow him through the valley, it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. If Jesus is your shepherd, you'll follow him through this valley and you'll make it out. Or you can go your own way and you know, see how that works for you. But look what, look what it says in verse five and six. It says, when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, well, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. I love that Jesus is messing with Philip. I want you to think about that for a minute. He already knows how this is all going to pan out. He knows he's going to take someone's food. He's going to multiply it and feed the masses. But he wants Philip, the details guy, to sweat it for a minute. Like he, I, I, I love that Jesus is kind of clowning him. But here's the principle I need you to understand is that, guys, we're in a sticky situation. We don't know what's going to happen with this coronavirus thing, but Jesus does. And if you will press into him, you'll grow close, close into Jesus. He can walk you through this and we'll come out on the other side. See, you, you have to trust him. And sometimes trust is hard because we're used to trusting in ourselves. We're used to being self-sufficient. We're used to doing everything. But here's what I want you to trust in this situation is maybe, just maybe, maybe in the midst of all the bad that's going on, God could take this coronavirus pandemic, you being trapped in your house, and still do something and make something good that can come of it. You know, for some of you... Um, you have been, your whole family has been living, I, me too, we've been living our life at 100 miles an hour and it's forced us to slow down and actually um, have some Sabbath and spend some time together. And um, it could be that this very tragedy, the good that comes out of it is a blessing for your soul, but you have to trust him. And, um, you, you know, trust is hard. I remember when I moved to the Central Valley, I was looking for a mechanic I could trust. You know, because I, I know how to change my oil and put air in my tires. And that's about it. And, um, you know, just imagine if you, uh, your air conditioner broke in your car and you don't know how to fix it. You've got to find someone you could trust who's not going to soak you for a million dollars. And I know personally, if I, if I set out to fix my own air conditioner in my car, it would end up looking something like this. I mean, here, here, here's the deal. Um, if you look, it's got like a, a this a hoopty ride with a generator on it. And the guy got some flex seal and put a home air conditioner in it. That's how I fix my car Oceanside style, right? People from the O. Okay, so anyways, how do we trust God when everything is uncertain in our life? Well, that's a great question. How do we trust God when everything is uncertain in our life? Well, you have to be in close proximity, okay? 
And when you push into close proximity with the Lord, this is this, this thing on your screen right now, there's a picture of an awkward family, right? They're very close. Some of you, you're in small homes right now. You're in an apartment and you're like, this is my family and I'm an introvert and everyone's too close. And you know, I, I love the little girl. Her face is like, oh dear God, get me out of this family. You may be feeling that way right now. So you can take the picture away, but here's what I want you to understand. You have to be in close proximity to Jesus, is what I'm saying. You, it, it, for, for some of you, that little girl, she may need to be more in close proximity to Jesus so she doesn't murder her family. But here's what I want you to understand. To get through a sticky situation, you have to press into Jesus. This little boy came to Jesus and he tried to get as close to Jesus as he could with the very little that he had. And for some of you, this time locked down in your house, press into Jesus, press in. It may be, it may be awkward too. There may be people in your household. that are like, Oh, he's getting all religious on us. I, I, I want to encourage you this guys. Anytime you press in close to Jesus, to those that aren't, it does feel awkward to them, but don't not press in because of that. Don't, don't worry about what they're thinking. What really will happen is, you know, Jesus has this effect. He either repels people or he draws people to them. And if you draw nearer to Jesus during this time, the Bible says, so the son of man be lifted up, the world will be drawn to him. Yes, some will be, feel awkward, but others will see you doing it and they will fall asleep. So I love what it says in verse eight and nine. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up and he said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So right, right away, you, you have to understand, besides pushing in close to Jesus, the other thing that you can do right now during this time is offer what you have, whatever it is, how little it is to Jesus in service. Build your life on Jesus. See, Philip was focused on what he didn't have. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough money. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pet heads are falling off. I mean, that kind of, he was freaking out and he was focusing on what they didn't have. What the little boy did, he had a childlike faith and he focused on what he had. He said, I know there's a lot of people here, but I have some fish and some bread. Here you go, Lord. And, and this is where you're at. You may not have a lot right now. You may not have a lot to offer God, but what you have is enough for God to do great things with. And he, you build your life on him and see what he does. See, Moses was in the desert. And while he was in the desert, he was herding sheep. And God called him and said, go to my people and, and tell the Pharaoh that, that he's to set them free. And Moses is like, How, well, how's the Pharaoh gonna believe me? And God said something to him. He said, what's in your hand? And Pharaoh was just holding a stick, a staff that he used to move his sheep around. Or not Pharaoh, Moses. And God said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake. God said, pick it up. He picked it up and became a staff again. He says, go to Pharaoh and do, do the very thing. And I will prove to him that you are from me. And sometimes the very simple thing you have, the skill you have or whatever it is, offered to God can change everything. So the last two verses, I wanna read these two because I love this. 
It says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, right? He, so he feeds everyone with the loaves and fish. They begin to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they were intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. It says that Jesus knew that the crowd was intended to make him the king by force. I'm going to let you in on, on some good news. You know, if maybe you stumbled across this feed because your friend shared it online. You're like, ah, I've been to church in years and I, I don't have to get dressed up. I can watch my pajamas. And we're so glad you're watching right now. And, and I want you to know something. This is really important. Um, God, the God of the Bible is crazy about you. He loves you so much. And he would never force himself on you. He lets you make the choice whether you'll believe in him or not, whether you'll follow him or not. See, what the Bible teaches is, a, is this, that um, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what that means is I've sinned, I sin, you sin, no one's perfect, and, be, and, and we've fallen short of God's glory. And then it also says, for the wages of our sin is death. And that means a spiritual separation from God, a separation from God for eternity. And because I've sinned, because you've sinned, because we've all sinned, all 10 of us in this room have sinned, here's what I want you to under, understand. That sin, God can't be with that in heaven. He can't be with that in eternity. And we are separated from God for eternity. Now, there's good news. See, God knew that. He knew that we had been separated by our sin, even if it was one little sin. And that's why he sent Jesus to come into this world and live a life that was free of sin. It was perfect in our place. And then he died as a sacrifice for our sins. And he rose again on the third day. And the Bible says this really clear. Listen closely. It says in John 1:12, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. See, Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. And, and really, really what he's talking about is that he stands at the door of your heart and he's knocking. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to bring you peace in the midst of a traumatic time. But you have to receive him. And in a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. We're gonna pray. Some of you, you're watching and, you know, you know where you stand with God. You're, you're sure of that. But there's some of you watching that if you were to die today, you don't know where you would go. And here's what I want you to know. By the promise of what God has said, what Jesus has said, that if you believe in him and you put your faith in what he's done on the cross for you, you'll be saved. That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. So I want to encourage you, right where you're at, you can do it in your home, to pray, to talk to God, invite him in. You don't even have to do it out loud. You can do it quietly in your heart. Maybe you just close your eyes so you can focus. And if you don't know where you stand with God, just invite him in. If you don't know what to pray, maybe you pray something like this, Jesus, I need you. I realize my sin has separated me from you. Come into my life, forgive me. Make me the person you created me to be. I wanna build my life on you and who you are.
Now, if that's you, and that's the prayer of your heart, the Bible is pretty clear. It says um, that you're supposed to confess that to people. You're supposed to tell people. It's not a secret. Jesus said that if, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father. And I want to encourage you to do something. May, maybe on your feed right now, just type in, I'm with Jesus. And, I, and I'll find that in the feed and I want to send you a free gift. I want to bless you for, for that decision you make because it's the best decision you ever made. Or maybe you take a selfie right now and you hashtag it, I'm with Jesus. And then hashtag it, Clovis Hills Online. And, and we wanna, we want, I want to connect with you. I want to send you some stuff so that you can grow in your faith and just bless you. But, but make that decision known. And for the rest of you, those of you that have already made that decision in your life, you guys know that is the best decision they ever made. So um, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, we're gonna remind ourselves by singing together that we are here to build our life on what Jesus has done for us. So let's build our lives and let's worship him right now. I'm gonna turn it over to Marlena and the band. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.